The Louis Bellina Show. It is lunchtime. And lunchtime, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, is brought to you by, is thanks to Rudy's Barbecue. I always talk about home of the green chili stew, get the moist brisket, ribs, 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 and turkey's supposed to be pretty legendary. Breakfast. Just go there, try it for yourself. Because I could tell you X, Y, Z. Try it for yourself. Mix it up. You have the same breakfast every freaking day. Because people think breakfast tacos and they're going with a Mexican slant, egg, cheese, chorizo. Yeah, I'll eat that for breakfast. Come on now. But Rudy's Barbecue, the breakfast barbecue tacos. Yes, please. Oh, yes, please. Go try it for yourself. So lunchtime on the Louis Bling Show is yes. Thanks to Rudy's Barbecue. Coming up in, I'd say, 30 to 32 minutes, we'll head out to the Smoothie King Hotline, Alan Ward Brigadoon Brewery. We talk beer, everything, brewing, crafting, tasting, beer. A couple of times a month, we hook up on the Smoothie King Hotline. I will enter the Lifestyles portion of the Louis Bellina Show. January is ending, and dry January ends. Got some healthy alcoholic drinks for you. Chuck E. Cheese is releasing a cookbook. So I think all my dreams are finally coming true. And Google Trends at the end of every month releases Google Trends. God, see how that works? All that plus your text messages at 979-693-1150. Text. Whatever you got, send it. I'll see what you got inside the Texas Mobile One Loop Express inbox. The Super Bowl. I'm not sure what is going to be the best part of the Super Bowl yet. Uh, I live in fear that it's going to be pretty blah, pretty meh. I say fear. Super Bowl is supposed to be one of those holy days of a sports fan's calendars. Commercials have punted. Companies don't want to spend like epic TV, uh, epic movie type budgets anymore. Sure, I, I actually think commercials are fine, but they used to be like Academy Award worthy. They used to be movies and the the money spent. They're fine. There's always, am I right? There's always a handful that you remember. But the game itself, 49ers Chiefs, the Super Bowl nobody asked for. Halftime is Usher. I guess everything will be fine, but Super Bowl Sunday... Something has to transcend. Something has to be better than fine, actually. Something has to be great. Something has to be talk-worthy for the next week, not just the next day. And maybe that's the difference between fine and great. Fine, yeah, you'll mumble about it the next day a bit, not past lunch. Great, you'll talk about it the next weekend. You'll talk about it a year from now, potentially. What will be great? What part of the Super Bowl experience are you betting on to be great? Or do you even care? I've said many a time, and maybe it skewered my Super Bowl interests and tastes. My greatness was always on the Super Bowl weekend extravaganza. I would throw, and I threw at my uh, best friend, Johnny O'Langham. Rest in peace. It, 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 our Super Bowl experience started Friday's and I said Friday at 5 the other day. That was a lie. We started starting earlier than Friday because we started playing golf 
on the Friday before we started. Friday, golf, just having fun. Then the then it was steak night. Then it was free-for-all night. Then, no, Saturday. I'm still right. Friday night was the free-for-all party. People thinking they were younger than they were. Steak night to start it. Oh, yeah. It was a two-and-a-half-day extravaganza again. So my Super Bowl weekends rocked before kickoff. So maybe I was always biased about the Super Bowl. No, because the commercials used to be on the legendary level. Like, again, the budgets they spent, they were doing mini epics. Like, you know, they're getting directors of, like, Academy Award-winning movies to do commercials. Anyway, betting. We used to do our own prop bets, and we used to do our own squares. We, we had addicts. What can I say? It was awesome. There are, right now, and you can find them if you want online, a whole series of Taylor Swift Super Bowl prop bets. Here's eh, a skosh, just a couple examples. Will Taylor Swift be shown during the national anthem? 66.67% chance of this not. Of, of it, I'm sorry, actually, yes happening. The odds are yes. There's a 66.67% chance of her being shown during the national anthem. This is a prop bet. Will Travis Kelsey propose to Taylor after the game? Only an 8% chance. So he could get really good odds. Now, he won't propose after a loss. Chiefs are the underdogs, so that 8% makes sense. I got one more. These are Taylor Swift prop bets at the Super Bowl. Will the MVP of the game mention Taylor? 22% chance. Because if it's not, you know, Travis himself, who's going to mention Taylor Swift in their MVP? I'm going to Disneyland, and I'm cutting a new song with Taylor Swift. Thank y'all. I mean... It's tough, right? And if you look at the betting odds for the MVP, uh, Taylor, she has zero. But Travis is the fourth best odds to get it, right? Taylor has the fourth best odds. So anyway, there are so many more. And if you like that kind of thing, to me, that is, without a doubt, that's the fun, fun more funner, funnest, the f- more funny, funnest. Uh, English is not necessarily my first language on certain days. I'm going to keep this simple because it's kind of, I think, getting beat to death a bit. The Taylor Swift NFL story, anyone that complains about it is just looking for something to complain about. I've heard, I didn't time it, so I don't know. The actual amount of airtime she gets in an NFL game is something like 20 seconds. Total, total, total. She might be talked about more, but actual like time spent camera on her is like 20 seconds. And that's out of a three hour and 15 minute broadcast. I look at an NFL game. I got questions for you. Would you rather listen to the color announcer or play-by-play tell you this is a key third down in the first quarter or talk about Taylor Swift. Would you rather 
get the expert analysis of third and four and the guy drops the five-yard pass and you hear, you got to catch the ball there. Or just another shot of Taylor Swift. Would you sack? You got to get rid of the ball there. Like, there's so much stuff that happens that makes me want to hit myself with an ice pick to the eyeball sometimes. Because these guys get paid millions of dollars. Don't tell me, oh, you can't give up the sack in that situation. Tell me why they gave up the sack. Tell me how the other team created the sack. That's insightful. Not, you can't give up the sack there. I don't want things I learned in high school. I find random Taylor Swift thoughts and shots in-game 150% more interesting than high school-level analysis. Tell me why. Show me how. And I know, I'm living in the wrong times with things like that. Because no one actually really wants analysis. And they're trying to appeal to the average fan who might not know that was a big play in the first quarter, really. And, oh, he was supposed to throw the ball away there. You know, knocked him out of field goal. I just, I get numb from the, you know, we're all idiot treatment you seem to get in games. And by the way, Taylor Swift supporting her man, that's supposed to be evil. You know, I got in trouble for talking bad about Taylor Swift once because I, I don't understand. I've heard her music. It's good pop music, but the fact that, like, you know, she's worth a billion dollars, I, I think she might be the most overrated artist of my lifetime. But her storyline in the NFL, people just want something to complain about. She's bad for the league. She's distracting from the game? Yes, let us keep it on the huddle so we can listen to the... Yeah, got to get rid of the ball there. Woo! Ah, thank you, bro. I was wondering. Yeah. Again, I'll move on. Super Bowl ads. I've heard a skosh here. I've heard a skosh there. Edie Falco is going to be doing an anti-dairy ad for PETA. Kate McKinnon and Pete Davidson is going to be in a Hellman's mayonnaise commercial that pokes fun at Pete's dating history. David and Victoria Beckham are doing an Uber Eats ad. And Jennifer Aniston's going to be in it too. Man, hold me back. Those are the kind of teasers that light me up. I'll tell you when Super Bowl ads kind of jump the shark is when the clients made a decision that they want to release their Super Bowl ads one week, five days, but all early, so they play more. So as opposed to the drama of seeing it Super Bowl part of the experience, we spent too much money to wait that long, you know, because you can go online to their websites, they release them. Yeah, it kind of ruined the moment, did it not? Maybe that's just me. 979-693-1150. Text messages are welcome. I'll, I'll do a text message sweep a little bit later on. Let us switch 
college football notebook. The university, well, no, that's not true. Attorney generals from Tennessee and Virginia yesterday filed a federal antitrust lawsuit against the NCAA. They're challenging the legality of the association's name, image, and likeness guidelines. This happened because, mind you, Tuesday, right? On Monday, all these starts started, all these stories started to float around that the University of Tennessee is dealing with an ongoing NCAA investigation into potential NIL violations. Now, the NCAA, I'm pretty sure, has an office in Knoxville somewhere because we can go back to the Jeremy Pruitt days, and I don't know how long that list was, but that was like pages and pages of violations. But also... They're currently under investigation too different. It's not just the NIL. So Tennessee just kind of has that rep so the NCAA knows they can just knock dust off of any corner at the University of Tennessee and find something. And with the NIL, it all centers around the quarterback who from the start, I think everybody knew that his recruitment was an example of everything wrong with NIL. Nico Amaleva, I heard at one point he's a $12, $13 million con- well, contract. Yeah, $12, $13 million contract. In the end, what it appears is that he signed Nico uh, Amaleva, the recruit, now volunteers quarterback, an $8 million contract with incentives. <laughs> and this is when he was in high school. Well, the collective can't do that when he's in high school. So if the NCAA says the collective did it on behalf of the university, there's a violation. No one can confirm that the player signed the deal. However, just agreed. You understand how great we're going, right? He never signed it. Allegedly, he agreed. But for the NCAA, it's the same thing. But guidelines are not rules. How can you violate a guideline? You can only violate rules. Tennessee got a draft of allegations from the NCAA. I'm not going to go into every detail. It's kind of half boring. And half of this is allegedly gray area guidelines versus rules. Tennessee not only would be in trouble from a you know a tier, a tier one violation, but they're also a repeat violator with this allegation because of everything that happened from 18 level ones under Pruitt. They're still on NCAA probation from Jeremy Pruitt. So no one will ever get the death penalty again, but while you're on probation, Getting more tier ones would be the repeat and repeaters were the ones that you'll forfeit every game. You'll lose 100 scholarships. That was death row days. Seriously, that that's how it all came about. But they're never going to do it ever again. But Tennessee is now in the repeat violet. That's what I meant about the NCAA probably just has an office somewhere in Knoxville. On the NCAA side, this will now be the third lawsuit against them. 
You got the House versus the NCAA, which is going to court 2025. $4 billion, a jury trial. Former athletes want to be labeled employees. Former, former, because they want to collect back pay and damages. Number two, two weeks ago, the Department of Justice joined a lawsuit seeking to do away with NCAA transfer rules. Yes, you heard correctly. The Department of Justice has joined another lawsuit against the NCAA. They just want to do away with the transfer rules completely. According to the DOG, illegal restraint on college athletes' ability to sell their image and likeness and control their education. You get away with... If that case were to be won, NCAA dead because you got to have some control rules laws. You can't just have... If you have no transfer rules, then a player can leave at any moment to do anything at any time, and there's just no functional ability. They'll have to be employees. They'll have to be just like job. And we have non-competes in the real workplace. So, God. And now you're going to have the third one, which is the attorney generals from Tennessee and Virginia just saying antitrust on NIL guidelines. So this is the third major, and it all stems from the new world order of NIL and transfer portals. Because the NCAA refused to do anything about it when they were warned and everything was done piecemeal with no clarity or uniformity. Just figured I would share. I'll be right back. It's the Louis Bolina Show and I'm inside the Charles Schwab studio Wednesday. I know it's Wednesday. I checked. The Louis Bolina Show inside the Charles Schwab studio. Low cost, full service, best of all local. That's Schwab. And I said, local, Schwab, you're thinking New York, you're thinking LA, Chicago. No, local, Mark Sim, he's right here in College Station. You get to experience a modern approach to wealth management with someone who, again, shake the hand, sit down at the desk, have a conversation with, no phone trees, call centers across the country. Oh, no, no. Charles Schwab and Company Incorporated member SIPC. Look Mark up online. Look Charles Schwab up online. Go to schwab.com slash college station college football the notebook i created it ohio state defensive back caleb downs is former alabama defensive back caleb downs he was doing an interview and in this interview he revealed that the day the exact day that he entered the transfer portal he got 102 phone calls. Now, Caleb Downs, defensive back, uh, highest rated player that went into the portal this year, ended up at Ohio State from Alabama. So, if those are the two schools and that's two of the top three recruiting schools, yeah, I mean, we get it. But 102 phone calls the day he entered the transfer portal. Things like that, perspective. That's what it gives me. ESPN, we're in the college football notebook. ESPN did their 2024 hot seats. Here's what blows my mind. The SEC at 14 teams, let alone going to 16, it seemed like every year there's coaches on the hot seat, even though they're firing coaches hand over fist within the cycle. And you got two, there's only three coaches they have starting the year on the hot seat. And remember, to be on the hot seat, it's got to be legit. It's got to be imminent. Nowadays, I would I would argue, me, that a hot seat coach will be fired in season. 
because you get to start first, you start earlier. Your transfer portal, take a look at the mess and wreckage of this past offseason because you have the designated December transfer portal. We have one coming up at the end of spring. If your coach retires, takes another job, or you fire him outside, you've added a whole nother portal to your offseason. Look at Washington and Bama. Schools are going to fire their coaches in season all the time now because players won't transfer in season. It will 97.9% diminish, extinguish your university having to deal with the 30-day window created by your coach being fired. You can't do anything about a coach retiring. You can't do anything about a coach leaving for a better job outside of the normal window. You, you can't control it. But if you can control it, you're going to fire in season to stop, limit that pain. Oh, in season firings. If you see a coach on the hot seat, I think that should be part of the definition now. This coach most likely will be fired in October. Two out of the three are from the SEC. Sam Pittman, Arkansas. I thought he was doing something. But in year five, if you go four and eight, you're not getting it done. You should not be still coaching. His prior success is not at a higher enough level that he should be given another year after four and eight in year five. But he was. The AD's invested him all in. He's got to go bowl men. The other SEC coach is Billy Napier. He's 11 and 14, 6 and 10 in SEC play, but there's no visible sign that things are turning, things are changing. I'll tell you a shocking stat for me. Florida has not had a coach make it through year four since Urban Meyer. Florida has not had a coach make it through year four since Urban Meyer. Wow. Also, it appears that the AD that hired him, Scott Strickland, he's on his own hot seat because of this hire. The weird part is, he might be on the hot seat because of the hire, but I don't know of anyone that really argued with the hire. Napier was a red-hot name. But I'm going to tell you, this is me following things over the years. There's other schools that passed on him that were jobs you thought he was going to get that just at the last second. And it wasn't him, I got to stay at Louisiana. And, and so this is interesting to me. He plays Florida State, Miami, and I'm even going to add UCF in non-conference. And then Texas, Tennessee, and Georgia in conference. It's got to be one of the toughest schedules in the country. The odds of him making a bowl are pretty slim. And if he doesn't make a bowl, they're going to fire him. It Will he be an in-season fire? But again, the non-con for Florida, Florida State, Miami, and UCF. Brutal. And then Texas, Tennessee, and Georgia. Now the third coach, they only have three on the hot seat, which if you do in-season firing as your standard, I'm cool with this. Dave Aranda at Baylor. He went three and nine last year. I find the Dave Aranda fascinating in that, you know, I guess what, first two years, 
They won the Big 12 championship. There was thought he was about to get promoted to, we'll say, a real school, real university, a real football program. He stayed. And now, last year they went 3-9, and nine, lost to Texas State, lost their last five. Don't look good, does it? But they're staying invested in him. They're giving him another year. A, no OU, no Texas. Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State. So the Big 12 got much easier. But three and nine against a way watered down at a Big 12. Not a good look. Hey, do you know he has a new play caller on both offense, defense? He is now his own defensive coordinator. Going to call plays. Went in his time, he was number one or two. I think Elko was one or two with Randa being one or two during their time. Jake Spavital, former Texas State head coach, former offense coordinator at AM. Jake Spavital is going to be the new offensive coordinator at Baylor, trying to save Dave Aranda's job at Baylor. I thought that was pretty interesting. Now, there's a keep on keep your eye on category for hot seat coaches. They're not there, but it won't take much. And I agree. Chip Kelly at UCLA, kind of surprisingly back. And it's because he won games at the end. Clark Lee at Vanderbilt, surprised he's back. Ryan Day at Ohio State is true. He acquired all the players. They had the greatest portal season ever, ever, ever. Mixed in with the high school class. And Michigan's down. Oh, and Michigan just won a national championship. You look at the convergence of forces. He's not on the hot seat. He could be one bad loss from one pissed off alum rallying the troops to say just no more. Like, like no, no, not a joke. Just that simple. One alum saying no. <laughs> I could see it breaking down for him. Because I don't see him slowly one year taking one step back one moment at a time. I just see them saying, no, uh-uh. And look at the forces. His high school class, his portal class, Michigan is down, and they just won a national championship both together. And then he loses the – like if he lost to Michigan and they went 10-2 and two this year, you could see a stunning fire of him. Pat Narduzzi at Pitt. And then they threw out some retirement watch coaches like Matt Brown could retire. He He's going to turn 73 this summer. Kyle Whittingham at Utah. He said he's not sure how far past his 65th birthday, which is November. And then you have Kirk Ferentz entering his 26th season. Turned 69 in August. And he has a lifetime contract there. But you got to remember with him... There's a lingering side effect to being forced to fire your son that could make this not as fun as you think anymore. And he was forced to fire. Well, I don't even know him. Whatever supervisor was appointed by the AD and the presidents fired his son. But, you know, his son was forced out even though they still won and went to like a New Year's Six again or whatever. So that's not going to sit well. Mind you, they got destroyed. Their offense was horrific. He never would have made a change. And then they made a weird hire. They got the former Western Kentucky head coach. Is it Tim Lester? They looked at the Duke head. uh, They look at Mike Elko's OC. Jimmy Johns from last year. And and, and he was favorite for a while. 
They didn't go after anyone, no one that was exciting, no one, you know, they were all interesting names with potential, but no one that was like turning the world on fire kind of thing. I'll be back. Alan Ward, Brigadoon Brewery will join me on the Smoothie King Hotline. We talk beer, making, crafting, tasting of, yeah, Brigadoon Brewery is a beer education school. What else would we do? The Louis Bellina Show, lunchtime. Lunchtime, thanks to Rudy's Barbecue. And, well, lunchtime, a couple of times a month, we head out to the Smoothie King Hotline, and that's where we find Alan Ward of Brigadoon Brewery. My brother, how's your universe? My universe is rocking and rolling, man. The weather's finally good out here, and things looking great. I'm doing fantastic. You mentioned the weather is great. All right, so we got like this week where you wake up and it's 40 and then by afternoon it's 72 then you have monsoon type weather oh it was 15 degrees the week before that how does all this weather affect brewing or no it doesn't because we're all inside i mean you know i I know what brewing craft brewing because you brigadoon brewery you do craft beers is it all neutralized does it affect anything no yes maybe well, you know, that that's an excellent question, and we ran into a situation last year, not this year, but last year. Um, well, actually, we did this this fall, we did too, in that we are very well set up at Brigadoon for hot weather, as most breweries are. All of our tanks are, are controlled by glycol. I set the temperature control on it. What we don't have brewery control over, and we very rarely have it here, for us at Smaller Brewery, is because it's really, really cold. Because my tanks don't heat up freeze, I can chill them down, but I can't heat them up. So there are some breweries that have both heat and cool on their on their tanks. We do not. So this year we actually had a beer that didn't take off because it was too cold. Uh, I couldn't get the heat back up in the tank in time for it to ferment out for the end of the season. So it, it does affect it. Uh, like I said, we, we are very well prepared for heat. But if it's really cold, we, we're not prepared to bring it in for that. If our tanks get too cold, the yeast just goes, huh, I'll wait. I'll go to sleep. Um, but bigger breweries, no, they have the heat and cool on it. And uh, actually, there's a way to do that, and we're looking at that for next year. But it, it, that's an excellent question. It it very much temperature on temperature inside the tank, and that, that's important. Now, with temperature, and there's other things that can affect craft beer. It's craft beer. It's not just processed, done, and out of pops. You can have things along the way, whether it's a – 30 minutes off or a temperature here or something got into the system. How often or common is it to end up not with what you intended? You know, I always say there's three kinds of breweries out in the world. Uh, those who have dumped beer, those that will dump beer and those that should have dumped beer. Uh, and I will tell you at Brigadoon, we have dumped beer before. If it's not up to our quality and standards, we'll dump it. So it, it's not unheard of for breweries to have to dump beer for various reasons uh and for brigadoon for our choice was we had a basket uh, busted gasket and it got infected and we didn't want to serve that beer as being subpar but there are some times that come along we've had a couple of little things along the way that are happy accidents so we say something happens and you go you know what it's not what we want it but this is pretty good this is not bad and if you're smart you kept good records and know what happened you can repeat it uh, our, our green mm. ogre is that way. We had a mistake on that first time brewing process structure with it, but we knew what we did wrong and we kept it up and could do it again. So it's, if you do things right, you shouldn't dump beer, but you know what the worst thing in the world of any brewery in the world is those who should have dumped. And that's, that's a bad category to be in. So th- the base concept, I mean, it's obvious saying it out loud, never serve bad beer, never served. And it's not even the word bad. 
don't serve substandard beer. Yeah, and that's that's very important. When I got ready to start brewing uh, professionally about 17, 18 years ago, I sat down with a very intelligent man, and I'll just mention his name is Brock Wagner. Uh, he's I a, thought uh, you were going to say me. Okay. Oh, uh, hey, man, that was too early for you. I didn't know you yet. Uh, but I sat down with him before we opened Brigadoon Up, and I spent two hours with him. We talked about everything. At the end of the time, I said, you know, Brock, I got to ask you a question. You gave me a lot of time here. If we open up and finish and do well, we're going to be competitors in the marketplace. Why would you help me? I, I, I worked in retail. I worked out there in hardcore sales, and you never helped the enemy. And he said something very profound. He said, I want you to make the best beer you can make. Because if anybody out there, any brewery makes a bad beer, you might lose a customer for everybody else for life. And that's the thing. It's all about making good core beer, making it good, making it solid, and, and being repeatable, and not losing a customer for anybody. And I think that's the big thing about craft beers. It's about the end product. You want that customer to be satisfied and happy. So you want to be the, put the best beer out you can. That's my aspect of brewing. I know some places don't care. I've seen people just put anything out the can. Uh, they may or may not make it. But as Brock said, we want a good quality product so that everybody has a chance to that customer for a lifetime. You know, I know everything you're saying is right, brilliant, and noble. And and, and you say some don't care. I, I imagine in my own head, though, there's there's something in the middle that's a challenge. It's not a don't care thing, but over the years we've talked how long now? And you talk about the struggles price of cans price of importing this the pride of ship price of shipping and everything and a brewer who's just trying to make it a new brewer it's the financial kind of part of it of if i dump a whole batch i might not make payroll if i dump a whole batch then we're going to go in whole x what the the financial uh consequence i i think might be more tempting than not caring and that is a big, big thing. And I'll tell you, the smaller you are, uh, the more dumping anything hurts. The big boys can dump thousands of gallons, but it doesn't matter. If you're a small brew pub or brewery and you're doing five, ten-gallon, one-gallon, one-barrel batches, that's 31 gallons of beer, and you dump that, that may be your entire production for the week, and that hurts. And what you have to decide at some point is, is it worth chancing? If I put this bad product out there, will the customer taste this and never come back? Will they taste and understand or, or what? Do you lose that customer forever and trying to make payroll? Because it may not sell. If somebody gets one glass of it and goes, oh, my God, this is horrible. How could you do this? Uh, you may lose everybody and everything. So it's it's tough. And that's the hard part about being a small brewery. You just have to decide and make good decisions. Now, some beers you can salvage. If it's not that far off, you might be able to say, okay, this is not the beer we intended it to be. Let's put a different name on it and try it and, and see if, we can, if it's, it's sellable. And we had that case of Brigadoon one time. We had a, a beer get infected, and I was going to dump it. My guys talked me out of it because uh, I hate sours. Uh, and <laughs> it had been a great seller. People loved it. We told them up front, this beer is a sour. It got infected. And by golly, people loved that, and then they just swallowed it up. But that's the decision you're going to make at the time. Is this a, a palatable beer? Is it a beer that someone's going to buy more than one glass of? Because if they won't, they might buy that one glass and tell the rest of their friends, don't drink that beer. My God, that's horrible. It's not worth it. It really isn't. It's short-sightedness if you do that. A quick aside, sours. I've never recommended them to anyone, and I won't. I've never told anyone to not have them. I go to a place and I see a sour. I look forward to trying that sample of the sour. If it passes the test, I enjoy it. 
If not, I don't drink it. So I'm very this middle-ish ground with sour. You know, you've said many times, you hate them, I respect. I've found sours I hate, but on the sample size, no risk, right? And I found sours where I go, ooh, a pint of this is going to be fun. So I like don't have an official stance on sours. And I can go along. I, I've tried several sours, and there have been some sours out there that, I, that I've said, okay, it's just drinkable. I can drink a pint of this. In uh, my case is... If you infect the beer intentionally, it worries me. You lose control of the brewery. Um, you know, there's no big, big secret about it. There's been breweries in Texas that have done that. Jester King, uh, for a while, could not brew anything but sours because they got the brewery infected. Yeah. Um, and that's that's a shame they had good beer beforehand. So I worry about a brewery being infected, and it just kind of kind of gives me a little shiver down my back. But there are beers out there that are that are soured that are fine. Uh, kettle sours, Berliner Weissers, uh, they're they're soured intentionally in the kettle, and then, then it's killed, so it can't live on in the brewery. And those are fine. I've had some really good Berliner Weisses that I like. Uh, there are some sour tasting beers, uh, Lambiques that I will enjoy. I don't want to make them in my brewery. There again, I'm afraid they're going to take over. But I like a good Lambique. Um, it's just a matter of of sours. Um, to me. I worry about the infection in the brewery. What's going to happen? And as long as it's your brewery, that's fine. And there are some good sours out there. There's some people who make great sours. Uh, Jester King, who just closed down, had some good good kettle sours they made there. Uh, not Jester King, I'm sorry. Um, Ingenious, I apologize to you. I was about uh, to say, Jester you King's just shut open. down Jester King? <laughs> no, Jester King's still open. Ingenious just closed. And they had a couple of sours that, that, were, that were very powerful and very good, actually. It's just a matter of how you do them, and I just cringe at it. Uh, it's like I don't run down the freeway naked with, with scissors at night, paint it black, because I don't want to get killed. Good it's call. It's just things I don't want to do. It's, Good it's call. not worth it. This is why we're friends. It's, but, it's logic like that. Yeah, yeah, you got it. Now, there are things I might try. You know, yeah, I, I, I was in the military. I've done a few things I probably shouldn't have done in my life. But it's just a matter about uh, I don't want to have that chance of my brewery getting infected. And that, that's just personally. But there are some good ones out there. There's some bad ones. I think some sours that people can't control the cleanliness of the brewery. That bothers me. Uh, but there are intentional sours out there. that they're, they're, they're done great. And they manage to keep their equipment separate. And they're good. And that's nothing about crap beer. There's a beer out there for everybody. No matter who you are, there's something out there for you to like and enjoy. Uh, you know, if you like light beers or lighter body beers right now, St. Arnold's has got a great one, a grand prize. It's 100 calories. It's like 4-2% alcohol. Uh, it is a fantastic light body beer. Great for the Super Bowl coming up here. Um, but there's other light beers out there that I don't think have done right. And then I you just go look and see what's what they're, what this going on. It's all about personal taste. The Berliner Weiss you mentioned, those are the ones you get a syrup, right? And then you mix it, right? Traditionally, yeah. In Germany, they would, they would serve it uh, with a Woodrow syrup uh, or some kind of syrup with it. And uh, a lot of times they serve to kids, actually, in Germany. They'll give a kid a Berliner Weiss, maybe a third of a Berliner Weiss, and three-quarters of it will be, or two-thirds of it would be uh, the, the syrup to it. Uh, and those can be very nice if done properly. Yes. I, uh, this is a good building devices by themselves. But there again, those are kettle soured. They're controlled and everything's killed before it goes on. I don't see those on. anymore. I used to see those like at almost every brewery. And oh well, no, that's exaggeration. I used to see those at a lot. And I would always, because I love eh, some places have a higher quality syrup and it would make actually a very significant difference. I would always try those because the syrups were and you'd have all these different flavors of syrup, you know. I mean you know, it's things I never heard of even, very flowery. And yet with the sour, it was the right combo. But I don't ever see them at all anymore for the most part. 
they're not as popular. Kettle sours aren't. Uh, Brother Vice are not that popular that they say you uh-huh. were at one time. Uh, I'm not sure why that is. Maybe people shift it either in the sour area or not at all. I will say that once you add a syrup to things, you've got to stock something else at the bar. Maybe add some added cost. Although a syrup's not that expensive, comparatively speaking, uh, it's about an experience there too. And, and that's a good observation. I don't, you don't see a lot of breweries that will serve uh, Berliner Weiss with syrups anymore. But I used to though. That's the key for me. Maybe, you know, it's a personal observation thing, only the place I went to. But they used to be common-ish and now they're uncommon. That's true. And maybe it's because it takes longer because you have to have more customer interaction at the bar. Now I got to sell you a beer and add a syrup for you. I, I don't know. I'm just guessing at that one. I don't know. Uh, it's a trend, maybe that kind of slid away. Yeah. Although you would think with the the um, rise of craft cocktails and mocktails and stuff, that that'd be right in the right in the slip there. That would be in an area you could have mix beers together and add a syrup to them or whatever. And also, think. in the time we live in, it, it that Berliner Weiss was something that you would oh photograph and share. It, it fits more of that group you're talking about that wants to distill spirits too from that element it's something you'd social media because you'd put the syrup in the photo and the color change of your drink when you add this it fits more of that style of drinker it does and i'm not sure not sure why it's not been more popular nowadays maybe we'll see a trim come back to it because of that maybe the people are really like, oh yeah we should try that her on the libelina show we, we, we can go out and do that make millions of dollars now so maybe we'll we'll start that trend back. But it is surprising that the younger generation that are out there with the mixing of beers and cocktails and stuff that that's not become more popular. Uh, what you can mix with it because there's a there's a plethora of things you could add to it to make it different flavors out of it. Yep, you could go back every time, and when I say every time, let's say you go once a week, you could go two months before trying the same thing. And and to me, isn't that part of the craft brewery experience? I, I think it is. I think that for, for good or bad, I, I believe that the craft beer drinker wants something different every time they go somewhere. Now, they want their standards, but they want to see what's new also. And that's a double-edged sword, though, because you're always trying to chase that next elusive new thing. What's new for Brigadoon Brewery? What's your plans heading into February, you know, the second month of this new year? Well, we got some repairs to the booth this year. We're going to do some roofing and some other things. We're looking toward buying a small canning system so we get more cans in the market for next year. Yes. Uh, the Texas Renaissance Fest will be the 50th anniversary, so we're working on uh, a recipe and a new beer for that to come out with. I'm not ready to talk about that yet. We're kind of in the in the testing and, and uh, uh, mad scientist stage on that one. But we are looking at doing a lot more cannings, have more bottles available next year. So we're looking at producing that structure out there and just trying to figure out what we're going to do and make this special for the 50th anniversary of Texas Renaissance Festival. If people would like to keep up with you, what are you on Facebook? We are uh, Brigadoon Brewery on Facebook and Brew School on Extra Twitter, whatever they want to call it nowadays. Extra Twitter. And we're, <laughs> whatever it is. You see Y or Z or whatever it Extra, is. Extra. No, I'm going to steal that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm stealing that and giving you no credit. I'm going to start saying Extra Twitter. That is brilliant. It's Extra Twitter. A little, little, little syrup on top there. Oh, uh, that's so good. Anyway, uh, those are the best ways to follow us. Uh, and, 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 you know, follow us on Facebook because it's up to date. We do a lot of that on Twitter. And then our, our uh, webpage is com. And while I'm thinking about it, I do need to report this. We will not have a Super Bowl ad this year aired during the oh, Super Bowl. No! <laughs> the rumor I was out there. I heard about the year. rumor. I started the rumor myself, but I probably should stop it now. <laughs> we will not be there. On the Super Bowl commercial this year, I'm sorry. Every time I see a dragon, I go, Brigadoon! 
and yeah, then it's exactly. you know some kind of like job marketing service. But anyway, <laughs> Brigadoon Brewery on Facebook, and then at Brew School on Twitter because Alan is active throughout the year. It's not just Renfest. Brigadoon Brewery is active throughout the year. And if you want to see where they're going to be, what they're up to next, follow or like, brother. I'll check in with you soon. Have a phenomenal, you know, weekend. And thank you always. I love talking beer with you. Look forward to seeing you soon, Louie. Take care. Be awesome. Alan Ward, Brigadoon Brewery on the Smoothie King Hotline. Are you male and you're 35 plus and you started to notice things are changing around you? Energy just starting to slip off or (laughs) slip off a lot. Weight. Um, it's, it's gaining, it's not going away and you're really not doing much different in your life or, you know, you need to lose weight. Your doctors are telling you to lose weight, but they're not helping you with it. Or maybe need a little help, boost the confidence in the bedroom. If you're a male 35 plus and any or all of this, you're like, yeah, dude. Yeah. I know someone that can help Brandy Morales. She's a local, local nurse practitioner. She's helping me. I want more energy. I want to be more efficient. I want to do more. I just want to feel better each day with more energy. Yesterday, we went over the labs and it was funny to me talking to her. It was so easy. It was so obvious. Multiple options. It wasn't just this. Tuesday, it all starts to kick in. Doing some work this week. Don't get me wrong, but it was so exciting to have someone almost just, well, dude, this is easy and so forth. i Ah, can't wait for Tuesday. So if you, male, 35 plus, and want more energy, need help losing weight, or just interested and, yep, need a little help, sexual solutions kind of thing, set up a free consultation. Revive-men.com. Brandy Morales, local, can help you. Not these one pill cures the world garbage, okay? Revive-men.com. Set up your free consultation today. I'm going to leave you with this. Today is the last day of January. So many people do dry January that they're almost jumping out of their shoes. Their eyes are seizing in the top of their heads because the idea of having a drink at maybe 12.01 tonight, or maybe they're normal tomorrow night. You know, They'll actually sleep normal, wake up, work, and then tomorrow night they have a drink for the first time in a month. Cool. I've had many of my friends that did dry January. <laughs> Back when the Super Bowl used to not be six weeks after the end of the regular season. Does anyone remember when the Super Bowl used to be in January? I will say most of my friends, dry January was not 31 days. Dry January was January 1st till Super Bowl. I respected it. I had no problem with that. But anyway, here are the healthiest alcoholic drinks that you can tackle. If you want to go with healthier beverages, look for drinks that are low in sugar, higher in healthy ingredients. Low in sugar, higher in healthy ingredients. Here are some of the healthiest drinks you can do with dry January ending as opposed to, oh no, I'm going to drink, you know, I'm woo, and then just kill yourself. Hard seltzers, hard seltzers, most sparkling water, clear liquor, like tequila, vodka, And make sure when you look, just get one with no sugar added. Red wine. It's full of antioxidants. And those reduce, you know, antioxidants can reduce inflammation, help prevent cancer and heart disease. 
red wine. Bloody Marys, tomato juice, doesn't have a lot of sugar. And finally, I was like, oh, hot toddies, hot water, fresh lemon juice, honey, whiskey. It's kind of maybe the healthiest one of all of them. Hot water, fresh lemon juice, honey, and whiskey, a hot toddy. So Louie, me, Bolina, always thinking of you, trying to help you. It's what I do. So if dry January is ending at midnight tonight, as opposed to just going buck wild and hurting yourself and or your body anyway, that's the healthiest alcoholic drinks you can look at. Hard seltzers, red wine, Bloody Marys, and hot toddies. I'm back tomorrow. Braden Golf, 440 Sports ESPN Radio. Cedric Golden, Austin American Statesman, Rusty Burson, and you. This has been the Louis Bellina Show. Wednesday. I hope you had half as much fun as I did. Peace, everybody. Be amazing. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.